0: We hope you're blessed and inspired by today's message. God bless you. Here's the message. Um, Once again, I want to appreciate Brother William for reading the scriptures for us this morning. We've been in a series um, in accordance with the theme that we are considering for this month the unstoppable God. And today we are. Wrapping up that series with the fourth part. Um, the title that I've given it, the idea for it came yesterday when I was watching Joshua and Obayano argue about how to pronounce the title for a movie. Um, it's an interesting movie because I've seen it, but the title is bad. I don't know why they will make a movie for children and give it a title that by merely pronouncing it, you are confessing something negative to yourself. And so I thought, okay, the title for today's message, instead of whatever was there before, will be unstoppable me. Amen. The unstoppable me. Say to yourself, say, I am unstoppable. Say, because Christ is unstoppable, I am unstoppable. In the last few weeks that we've been on this series, um, God has spoken to us in various ways about this subject. Um, The very first idea that Pastor drummed into our hearts was to remind us that the only truly unstoppable force in the world comes from God. It's not from anyone. It's not from... Nobody can claim to be unstoppable. Only one person can. And that's God, and by His energizing, by His grace, by His enablements, there are many characters we've seen in Scripture and in our contemporary lives that have been unstoppable. And we've looked at the story of many of them in the course of this series. The first week we looked at Joseph, Gideon, David, Paul, and Jesus. In the second week we looked at the story of Blind Bartimaeus, and just last week we considered. Lessons from the story of Job. How many of you are blessed by that message? I was. Amen. And so today we want to bring that series to a close in a sense by returning to where we started from. That the God that we serve is unstoppable and therefore you and I, we can be unstoppable indeed. But of course, the question that always plays out in my mind when I hear declarations like that is, what does this look like? Practically speaking, what does this mean for me practically? And it comes down to three things that we'll spend the rest of our time together to unpack. It comes down to the promises of God, comes down to the reputation of God, and it comes down to the subject of our hope in Jesus or hope in God. We read from Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 to 20. I'm going to read it through one more time, but this time from another translation, um, the Message Bible, which is more or less a paraphrase, not a translation. Who knows the difference between a translation and a paraphrase? So there are some versions of the Bible that you have. You hear something like New International Version. That's a translation, New Living Translation. But a paraphrase is... They read the original manuscripts in Greek and Hebrew. And then the author, whoever the lead editor or translator is, decides to paraphrase the words in a way that becomes even more accessible and understandable in English. So the message is not, that's why you see on the cover, you will not even see the Holy Bible. You just see the message because it's a paraphrase. But a very helpful one at that. And so I'm going to read Hebrews 6, verse 13 to 20. From the message. When God made his promise to Abraham, he backed it all the way, putting his own reputation, God's own reputation, on the line. He said, I promise that I will bless you with everything I have. I will bless and bless and bless. And Abraham stuck it out and got everything that had been promised to him. He stuck it out. When people make promises, they guarantee them by appeal to some authority above them. So that if there is any question that they would make good on the promise, the authority will back them up like a guarantor. When God wanted to guarantee his promises, he gave his word, a rock-solid guarantee. Why? Because God can't break his word. And because his word cannot change, The promise is likewise unchangeable. Verse 18 to 20. We, you and I, who have run for our very lives to God, we have every reason to grab the promised hope with our many hands, with both hands, and never let go. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline that reaches past all appearances right to the very presence of God where Jesus is. He's running on ahead of us. He has taken up his permanent post as high priest, not only for Joseph Kola Oleola, but for every single one of us that believes in him in the order of Melchizedek. I mean, there are so many things we could unpack from that very short passage, but for the sake of time and the things that the Holy Spirit has drawn my attention to to share with us. I will limit those thoughts to about three of them. The first is to say, to remind us, the blessing of God comes to us as promises. Say that after me. The blessing of God comes to us as promises. Let's do it again. The blessings of God come to us as promises. We saw that in verse 13 and 14. When God made his promise to Abraham, he said, I Promise, it's a promise that I will. That means he quote and unquote hasn't done it, but he will do it. I will bless you with everything that I have. I will bless you and I'll bless you and I'll bless you again. And so you can pause there and really ask what blessing right now do you need from God to keep on going? What blessing right now do you need from God to for this week to be a good week? That when someone asks you on Saturday night, how was your week? You won't just say fine because it's the polite thing to do. But you say fine because indeed it has been a fine week. Now take a moment and sincerely think about that. What, What blessing would you need for a beautiful week this week? The point is whatever blessing that is, there is a promise that God has got for it in his word. In fact, the entire story of the Bible, the entire reality of being a Christian is all about the promise. Right from the first page of the Bible to the last page of the Bible, it's all about the story of a promise maker who we have known as well to be a promise keeper, who raised a people of promise unto himself and destined them to dwell in a promised land. It's all about the promise. It's all about the promise. From Genesis chapter 1, let us make man in our own image and and in our likeness. It's a promise. It's a promise because that guarantees that every, every child that will be born tomorrow and every child that has been born ever since Adam and Eve, they were all and will all be made in the image of God. Up until the very last couple of verses in, in Revelation 22, that I am coming again very soon. It's a promise. We are a people promise. And the Bible is filled with them. There's a Bible scholar that took 18 months to read through line by line, looking for God's promises, and he found a little over 7,500 of them. The Bible is filled. With God's promises, so if you have a problem, God has a promise for it. It's your own lack. You feel like I need some more money than is forcibly possible for me to receive this week. Well, Psalm twenty-three, verse one: "The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want." Philippians four nineteen. We already during the prayer session for our God shall supply all our needs according to. These riches, not your riches, not your bank accounts, is inexhaustible riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Second Corinthians 9.8 talks about how God will make all grace to abound towards you so that in all things you will have all sufficiency, lacking nothing unto every, every good work. Is your own need right now having to do with injustice. Acts 17 verse 31 tells us that God has set a date to make all things right. Like there is, there is no where I come from. There's a proverb that a lie may travel for twenty years, but one day truth will. It takes just one day, one moment for truth to catch up with it. In the same way, God has set a date. Bible says in which he will make all things right. The injustice might look like. It's painful and it's long-lasting, but there is a date. It's your own problem, disappointment. You were expecting a positive feedback. You got a negative one. You were expecting that the contract will click, but it did not click. You were expecting that the email will say, congratulations, you got the job. But they said, we are sorry to let you know. Whatever the case may be, in terms of disappointments, lots of promises in the Bible. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. It's your own betrayal. Someone has promised and let you down, or even taken what you have said of yourself and used it against you. Well, Jesus understands that. Hebrews 4.15 says, We have... Um, in Christ, a high priest that is, we do not have a high priest that is not touched by the feelings of our infirmities. In other words, we have a high priest that can relate to the feelings of our infirmity. Why? Because he was tempted in every way. He was also betrayed, even with a kiss by one of his own inner aids and inner circle. It's your own birth or loss of a loved one. Well, 1 Corinthians 15, 54 reminds us that death has lost its sting. That the last enemy to be swallowed up is death. is not the end uh, for the believer. Berenice, perhaps you've been wanting to be fruitful in one way or the other, and it's just not happening. Well, Psalm 127 and verse 3 reminds us that children or the fruit of any kind. They are the heritage of who? The Lord. They are the heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is is reward. Maybe your own is delay. You are feeling like God should have done something and God has not done what you intend for him to do. First Peter, second Peter chapter three, verse nine says, God is not slow in his promises. Look to your neighbor and say, God is not slow. Say it like you mean it. Be a pastor to that person. Say, God is not slow. God God is is not slow. And so when we think about the blessing of God and how they come to us as promises, then in context with the passage that we've read, you discover that literally we are living our lives in that tension between promise and fulfillment. That's where life happens for all of us. The promises are there. They are myriad. They are countless. There is one for every situation. You can take them the same way you take tablets. You can take them the same way you would live on medication. The word of God is filled with life. But then what, what happens in that interface between God has said it and it has become my reality? That's, that's the tension where we we'll live. And Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 15 tells us um, about Abraham, how he did that. And then Abraham, after patient endurance, found the promise to be true. Patient endurance, two words that we don't like to hear. Nobody wants to be a patient, and nobody wants to be patient, of which I think one teaches us about the other. When someone is a patient in the hospital, it doesn't have a choice, or she doesn't have a choice, then to be patient is whatever the doctors say. You can't go anywhere. And it's the same, really, I think that's the root concept that we can draw from there. It's, it's the key that God used or the tool that he uses to shape us into the image of Christ. We've said this many times in this church, in someone in God's track in Bible study, that one of the reasons why you did not die the day, the, the day you gave your life to Christ, because that would have been very super easy if it's all about, let's go to heaven. If God wants to make sure that nothing contaminates you, you say yes to Jesus, you fall down, you die. And you meet yourself in heaven and live there happily ever after. But the reason why he left you is because he wants you to use the rest of the days he's given you to become increasingly like Jesus. And the way he does that is through patience and endurance. I like James chapter 1 verse 1 to 4, and I'm reading it from the Phillips translation. It says, when all kinds of trials and temptations, when they crowd into your lives, my brothers, don't resent them as intruders. Don't hate the wahala. Don't hate the trouble. In fact, he says, welcome them as friends. I mean, nobody wants to embrace trouble. (laughs) What James is saying, and of course, he's writing to believers in a context where for you to survive as a Christian is through serious persecution. I mean, we have it cool now. We can come to church when we like, we can join online and lie down on our bed. In the days of James, it wasn't the luxury wasn't there. To be a Christian, you are either in or out. And so he's writing to them to say, embrace those troubles, those trials. Realize that they come for one purpose, to test your faith and to produce in you the quality of endurance. But let the process go on until that endurance is fully developed. In other words, it's possible for you to run out of the process. It's possible for you to find a shortcut. It's possible for you to cut corners. and God will not stop you from cutting corners, but by cutting corners, you are also embracing the the destiny that comes with corner cutting in that sense. He wants to use it to produce in you the quality of endurance. Well, let the process go on until that endurance is fully developed, and you will find that you have become men and women, sons and daughters of mature character with the right sort of independence. Mature character. This is this is. This is the part that sometimes phases me about Christianity. Just on Friday at the youth meeting, we were discussing why would God allow suffering and tragedies in the world and come and see people sharing all manner of stories and experiences. As young people in their 20s, in their 30s, there was a lady that had just lost a child at birth, like carrying a pregnancy all the way to town. And then as you were given birth, you were told your child is dead. There are many people that were sharing testimonies of miscarriages. There were people that were sharing, I mean, the resource we engaged with was about someone that was born with a bone deficiency such that you were born with broken bones. If she wiggles too much on the bed while she's sleeping, three, four, five bones are broken. And she has undergone over a hundred surgeries in her short life. And you wonder, why, why would God allow that? Why would a good God watch while that happens? And why will he allow some people to go through that and allow someone else to, quote-unquote, have a peaceful life? Even some people that are not yet his children in the sense of coming to know him. But of course, part of the answer that we wrestled with is from romans chapter 8 and i love that when we did a bible study on the book of romans we dwelt on that uh, extensively at the time i'll read a few verses um and then read some parts later in the in the sermon yet what we suffer this is paul talking what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will give us later wait like seriously You don't know what it feels like to be going through what I'm going through. You don't know what it feels like to be the only one sleeping on the bed at night when my mates have their own partners. You don't know what it feels like to be sleeping out in some night shift that's doing a job that I don't like just because I need the money to do this and that. Well, he actually knows. And he's saying through Apostle Paul to us that what you suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that they will give us later. Why? For all creation. In other words, it's not only Judah has this problem. All creation is waiting patiently and hopefully for that future day when God will resurrect his children, when God will make all things right, verse 20 and verse 21, for on that day, thorns and thistles, sin and death and decay, the things that overcame the world against His will at God's command because of Adam and Eve's sin, all of those things will disappear. And the world around us will share in the glorious freedom from sin, which comes, which God's children enjoy. For we know that even the things of nature Animals and plants. The lion is not happy to be biting people and killing them. The dog that is ferocious is not not his fault. It's because the world is falling. In the beginning, it was not so. The creation itself is groaning. Animals and plants suffer in sickness and death as they await this great event. We speak about the climate change. Even the climate is groaning because of... All that has happened. And even we Christians, Paul says, although we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of that future glory, we also to be released from pain and suffering. We too wait anxiously for that day when God will give us our full rights as his children, including new bodies that he has promised. Bodies that will never be sick again and bodies that will never die with bones that will never break We are saved by trusting, and trusting means looking forward to getting something that we don't yet have. For a man who already has something, doesn't need to hope, he doesn't need to trust that he will get it. But if we must keep trusting God for something that hasn't happened yet, it teaches us to wait again (laughs) patiently and to wait confidently that that thing will come to life. That leads us to the last point. That our lifeline, practically speaking, whatever the issue may be that you're going through, our lifeline as believers, as children of God, is hope. If you have hope, you're unstoppable. But again, hope in what? And what does that hope look like? A hopeful Christian is unstoppable, but what does a hopeful Christian, what does... What does that Christian look like? Being hopeful in this case is not being optimistic. It's not, I hope it will turn out right. No, that's not the hope we're talking about. It's not wishful thinking. It's not "Ah, how I wish I would get home now and I will find an envelope in my house with 17,000 pounds that would clear all my debts and buy, I don't know. I don't know what 17,000 pounds was. (laughs) But when we are talking of hopeful in this case, a hopeful Christian is a Christian that is standing on the promises of God. It's a Christian that is taking God by his word. It's a Christian that is trusting in the reputation of God. Let's let's look closely at that passage again and just as I begin to land this and just zoom in on God's reputation when it comes to how he dealt with Abraham. He says, When God made his promise to Abraham, he swore by himself, putting his own reputation on the line for there was no one greater by whom he could swear. So that by two utterly immutable things, what are those two things? The word of God and the oath, the reputation, the character of God, the fact that he's a God that keeps his word and who cannot lie. He says, because of that, we who are refugees from this dying world, we might have a source of strength and we might Grasp the hope that he holds out to us, and this hope we hold as the utterly reliable anchor for our souls. It's fixed in the very certainty of God Himself in Jesus. How beautiful! How beautiful! How beautiful. In the message paraphrase, the last two verses says, We will have we will have run for our very lives to God. In other words, we've gone to Him for salvation. We go about saying we are children of God, we are born again. We have every reason to grab the promised hope without many hands, with both hands, and never let go. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline, reaching past all appearances right to the presence of Jesus, our high priest. So help me ask your neighbor: Are you grabbing the promised hope? If the person is not paying attention, look at him or her squarely in the eyes and ask, Are you grabbing? <laughs> the promised hope and then ask with how many hands or is it just some few fingers with both hands yeah and are you always letting it go because it says you must never never let it go so by way of application as i draw this to a close how do you lay hold on god's promises with both hands i think those those two hands has to do with our heart and our mouth Paul said, with the heart, man believes. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So you have to believe those promises. You have to ingest it. The same way you trust that, I mean, technology has made things so easy. You just believe that if you pop paracetamol in your hand, in your mouth, when you have a dick, something will happen after a few minutes, the headache will go down, thanks to our pharmacists. But in the same way you can trust that, can you believe in your heart of hearts can you ingest the dependability of god and believe that is a god that cannot lie that whatever i've read in his word even though it might not be true in my situation now i know that it is true it is my situation that is not true bible says let god be true let every other thing let every other man be a liar so it starts from the heart but not only starting there it also goes on to our mouth It's all in your heart and it hasn't found expression to your mouth. It's a silent faith. So you declare it, you pray it, you sing it. I love the hymn we started it with this morning. I'm standing on the promises of God. And you can sing that from the depths of your heart until faith arises in your heart. In conclusion, trust Jesus. Let me tell your neighbor, please trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. Why? Because he understands your situation. And also because he's praying for you. In this just concluded week, I had to glance at the story of Lazarus again in John chapter 11. And these two realities jumped at me. That when we talk about, ask all these questions why will God allow this to happen? Why will God allow that to happen? Of course, the best way you can get a glimpse into what is going on with God in the midst of all that, is to look at Jesus and how he handles situations like that. And when he went to, this, to the tomb of Lazarus, when he went to Lazarus' house in Bethany, intentionally staying late to appear when he must have been four days dead, knowing fully whether he's going to wake him up, part of the reason why he stayed until he was four days dead is because in the Jewish tradition, so there's a belief that, the spirit will still be over in a land for three days. So, if he came and he rose him up within the first three days, they will say he's a resuscitation. But for four days, they know the spirit is truly dead. And of course, he came back to life. But knowing that he would do that, the Bible still says again and again, said it in verse 20, 33, in verse 35, in verse 38, that Jesus groaned. He was also pained by the fact that someone Right. even though he's still going to raise him up the emphasis was not immediately where is he, let me show you that I'm powerful, are come out Lazarus no, even he joined them in that pain, he joined them in that morning. He's, he knows that this is not how he's supposed to be we're not even supposed to be talking about death no thanks to Adam and Eve but now we are talking about death but let me first of all be with you in the moment and then secondly he prays for you The same way he prayed for Lazarus and Lazarus came out. The Bible says he's doing that right now, standing as our high priest before the Father and praying for us. Let's rise to our feet as I read Romans 8, verse 18 to 30. I mean, the last part, 26 to 30. Because the Spirit of Jesus is right now inside you and he has begun the process. So Paul says, in the same way, by our faith, the Holy Spirit helps us with our daily problems, and in our praying. But we don't even know what we should pray for, nor know how to pray as we should. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with such feeling that it cannot be expressed in words. KJV says, with groanings that cannot be uttered. And the Father who knows all hearts knows, of course, what the Spirit is saying as it pleads for us in harmony, with God's own will. And we know that all that happens to us is working for our good, if we love God and we are fitting into His plans. But from the very beginning, God decided that those who came to Him, including you and I, and all along He knew that we we're going to come. He says we should become like His Son, so that His Son will be the first with many brothers and sisters. And having chosen us, He has called us. And when we came, He has declared us not guilty. He has filled us with Christ's goodness and He has given us the rights standing with himself and of course he has promised us his glory so even though the creation is groaning, even though you yourself sometimes you groan also know that the holy spirit just like jesus is groaning alongside you and giving expression to the things you can't even give words to so trust jesus because he understands trust jesus because he prays for you and if your anchor, if the anchor of your soul is on his promises, you're unstoppable. As we wrap up, I want us to just sing the chorus of this song. I will read the second verse, but then we're going to take the, take the chorus together. The second verse says, standing on the promises that cannot fail. When the howling storms of doubt and fear, when they are sailed, by the living word of God, I shall prevail. I'm standing on the promises of god and i Father God, we thank you because you are the promise maker, the promise keeper. We judge you faithful. And this morning we are asking for grace. Grace to stay. Grace to abide. Grace to not run out of your process hastily. Grace to wait. Grace to be patient. Grace to endure. So that when we come out, we emerge Lacking nothing, fully matured, fully developed in that particular area. The reason of the same thing that some people are looking at as a reproach in our lives. Lord, we ask, we judge you faithful, be true, and let our situations be a lie to the praise and glory of your name. And when someone will ask us on Saturday, how was your week? May we be able to say indeed that our week has been beautiful. Because it has truly been to the praise and glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. God bless you.